Good afternoon, welcome to the panel. RNZ National, Heather Roy, Ed Amon joining me. If you missed the show, it is on the RNZ app. It's on iHeart, it's on Apple, it's on Spotify. If you want to go listen back, we've had quite a response regarding eating rice with your hands, thanks to Ed's IBT. We, we have questions for Ed later, but to this. World Rugby has announced today a major reform of the sport that is struggling to provide meaningful opportunities to small unions and it comes at a time when the likes of Portugal and Fiji have shown the promise of tier two sides at the World Cup. This from RNZ. There will be a new aligned international calendar, expanded 2014 Men's World Cup up from 20. There'll be a round of 16 added and despite more competing sides will be shortened from seven weeks to six. Meanwhile, we have heard much about the All Blacks but also the Black Ferns fated through the country for their extraordinary World Cup when they head into the second round of the inaugural World World Rugby uh, 15 competition, W15 competition, following an 1817 loss to France at Sky Stadium. Um, we thought we'd bring that in because we want to uh, get them back on the um, uh, calendar with us. Zoe George, senior sports journalist for Stuff. Kia ora, Zoe. Hello. Yes, I tell you what, that loss to France on Saturday <laughs> night by the Black Ferns, it was so tight. And yeah. the crowd, there was about 5,000, which was small but robust and quite rowdy and it was a wonderful vibe it's one of the things that I love so much about particularly women's sport and we felt Mm. that at last year's Rugby World Cup and then this year at the FIFA Women's World Cup was just the cohesion of the crowd and the support and it's it's always a great occasion Well I did want to bring that up because now that is wall to wall all backs and rightfully so because (laughs) you know but it was November last year Mm. where we we asked those questions including on the panel how do we keep uh, black how do we keep women's rugby in the spotlight here we are on the panel doing it. Yeah, and exactly, talking about it, reading a story about it, following your favourite athlete on social media, um, sharing a story, learning a player's favourite name, turning up to a oh, game, a joining a club, picking up a whistle. You know, there are lots of ways that you can be involved to help move forward the women's game, not only at the international level, but also at your local club level, because that's where it starts, at the, grass, at the yeah, grassroots. Yeah, we can come back to that, but just can you give us a bit of a heads up and explain Mm. it if you like on these new rules described as a major reform. Yeah, huge restructure happening from 2026 in the men's game uh, with a North versus South uh, Nations Cup happening between all the top teams. So you've got the six nation teams, you've got uh, the four rugby championship teams, that's where New Zealand sits and then there'll be two other teams and they'll play in this competition every other year. So outside of Rugby World Cup and outside of the Lions Tour. So they're the tier one teams and then there's the tier two teams and that's where Tonga and Samoa are sitting. Now World Rugby is saying that this will bring more money in, the tier one will bring more money into the men's game which will then be filtered down to the tier two teams but you know, critics are saying that this is closing opportunities for these countries that sit around us who love rugby to play us. Not that the All Blacks have played Ponga or Samoa any time recently. So there's a few kind of discussions happening there. It happens from 2026 because the Future Tours program is already in place until then. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's why we see that. That that decision uh, up until sort of 2026 was made back in 2017. Uh, now we've actually got, after this Rugby World Cup, We've got Australia in in 2027 and then the USA 
is hosting in 2033. You wouldn't think that they're a rugby playing nation. That'll their be women's team, their women's team, is quite fabulous. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but this is the men's team. All right. Now, for women though, this is the interesting thing. For the first time ever, they've got a schedule that doesn't clash with their domestic competitions, which means nice. women right. can yeah. play for their clubs and their teams like Super Rugby, yeah. Opiki in New Zealand, and then go off and play for the Black Ferns. Okay. So that's Shall a win. Bring, yeah. Shall we bring our panel and they, they anything rugby related? Now's your chance, Heather. <laughs> <laughs> well, Zoe and I have been having quite a conversation. I'm just loving Zoe's passion, particularly yeah. for the women's game. Yes. And it is great that that hasn't subsided from the mm. FIFA um, competition and it, it is ongoing. And we're still talking about these players and what they're doing. So that's great. But look, I was, I was saying to Zoe, I am feeling a bit rugby out and I'm sort of hanging out for a good volleyball competition. <laughs> good on you. Of honest, honesty is what the panel's all about, and that's very honest. The cricket's uh, on at the moment. The yeah. cricket is a cricket song. You have, to have a lot of time I'm on the for cricket. cricket. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Some. Um, I, I had a question, Zoe. It's the, uh, the specifically about the about the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it is it was it, it it was pretty 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 close but the but the performance was not as um and as compared to the the world cup final and semi final do you think it's the time that has been uh, left in between those uh, big uh, big games or is it just on the day uh, France was just and it's only a one point difference but it did seem that there was a bit of a difference between uh, the teams uh, um, uh, playing uh, now as compared to the World Cup. Yeah so we're talking about Black Ferns here right? Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so the Black Ferns are currently going through a rebuilding stage. Many of yeah. our players from last year talking Portia Woodman Stacey Walker uh, they've gone back to Rugby 7 so that they can train and be ready to go to the Olympic Games next year in Paris. So we're mm. missing that really strong backline that we had last year. Uh, Ruby Tui's still there. She's always mm. exciting to watch, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But I did notice how strong and how much we've changed in our front pack, like our scrums, just absolutely rolling over France. It was incredible. But the French are also rebuilding, and so are England. So come the game in two weeks' time in Auckland, which will be a replay of the Rugby World Cup final, it's going to be an absolute thriller. Uh, but we've got another game between now and then. The Black Ferns play Wales. At Saturday. Saturday, 4 mm. o'clock, under the roof. Can't Dunedin. go wrong. Yeah. Tickets start Dunedin. at 10 bucks. You can't go wrong. What a That's day right. out. And you get two games for the price of one. Bargain. That's really great. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really good to sort of see. It's um, st- still going strong. Nice to see uh, Ruby uh, Tui uh, in there as well. And just uh, recapping there, um, any there will also be this first ever dedicated international release window in the women's game from 2026. That's right. So, yeah, that means that women um, can play for their clubs and then go off and play yeah. for the Black Ferns or their international teams without having a clash. Is that significant? Yeah, it is. It means that um, they don't have to, you know, it's a bit like men playing for their super rugby teams and then going off to play the All Blacks. You know, sometimes they overlap right at the end of that season. So it means that we're not going to have any overlapping, which means we'll get the best of out, of out of our players for the international game. And 
it's exciting times, uh, particularly for women. I think this WXV competition shows that World Rugby truly cares about the growth of the women's game. Okay. So yeah, it's. Um, I'm excited anyway. I'm sure you can hear it. I'm looking forward. And, I'm looking forward to this weekend and next uh, weekend. Uh, and while we do have you here, and while we are sort of pivoting, we are talking rugby. But we're pivoting, pivoting just a little bit. Is there still that um, forward momentum for women's rugby? Because can you recall November last year? It was. Oh. I mean, the whole the whole nation was just rejoicing uh, around this team. Oh, it was incredible. Largest ever women's uh, crowd for a women's mm-hmm. game, 48,000 people at, at Eden Park. It was such a, a beautiful, wonderful, supportive <laughs> environment. I don't think I slept for about four days because mm-hmm. of the excitement. <laughs> yes, it is It is moving forward. It's just going to take a little bit of time. And with the WXV being on at the same time as the Rugby World yes. Cup, all eyes are kind of, of on course. the All Blacks at the moment, who I think the game's going to be very close uh, on Sunday morning. Oh, um, exciting. But, yeah, yeah, hopefully we won't see a clash like this again. Yeah. Good on you, Zoe. Really good to have you in uh, uh, and uh, uh, and uh, echoing Heather, your passion, uh, bringing it for the <laughs> uh, for women's rugby. Kia ora. Uh, Zoe George there. Um, Ed, if um, I mean being from Pakistan, are you? I mean, do you love rugby? Oh, I've 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 adopted rugby as yeah. my second second game. I'm a huge Crusaders fan. Are you? And I'm I have slowly through time become uh, an All Blacks fan because I have a very close friend from Christchurch and he, he tells me the minutia of the rules that are there. What, what's a ruck and what's a, uh, what's a try? We started from the try and then line out the different crazy rules about the line out and I'm very much into In it. In Pakistan, had you heard about rugby? Um, yes, I heard about it, but we couldn't play because I don't know. I think uh, we we we're too much engaged in um, in cricket. Plus, I, I don't think we have the legs for it. You're saying <laughs> you. <laughs> You've got cricket legs. Yeah, we've got cricket legs. <laughs> you, you, you were saying that um, cricket in Pakistan is on a different level, that even if you don't like cricket, everyone knows all about it. Yeah, so the cricket is one of those things that everybody knows, even more than politics, that if you, even if you hate the game of cricket, you would know all the ins and goings out of the game um, just because it's around you, everybody talks about it, and if you don't know about it, you're kind of kicked out of the group. So uh, and it's, so it's, it's way further than what is rugby to New Zealanders. 18 pass for the panel. RNZ National. Well, all, second all Auckland RSA in a matter of weeks faces the prospect of losing their club rooms after the organisation sold their prime land to a developer for between four to six million. This is the Howick RSA, a planned apartment com- uh, could take its place. The club allegedly hemorrhaging $7,000 a month. This after Point Chevalier RSA is to lose club rooms, prime real estate there, after a multi-million dollar sale to foodstuffs. It is a decision that's upset long-standing RSA members, both in Howick and Point Chev. So we thought, what is the long-term future of local RSA around the country? How do they need to equip for the future. We thought we'd put those questions to board chair of the RSA, retired Major General Martin Dunn, who's not long been in the role. Martin, kia ora. Nice to have you on the panel. Good afternoon, uh, Wallace. Thanks for having me on, the, on your show. Yeah, thanks. I, I can imagine it would be pretty heartbreaking as a member to lose 
Well, your home, really. I mean, how RSA has 700 members. They'd be embedded. It'd be, it'd be their club rooms, their conversation pit, their their lounge. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's it's always very, very upsetting for local communities when these sorts of institutions close. Um, but sadly, it's a sign of the times. And with the, with with that goes a lot of history, a lot of memories. Um, but it was just not viable. And many of the communities at which these there's all sorts of people been involved over many years. But we have to face the facts that the this sort of hospitality function is changed. And you know, there's 186 RSAs uh, throughout the country, of which only 50% now have hospitality facilities, and many of those don't have um, their uh, don't have uh, their don't own their own premises. So in this case, getting out when they are, we now need to look at how they can uh, reorientate with that, that funding and what they'll do with it. Yeah, you did say you 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 did want when you came in. You wanted the RSA uh, to be less about your cheap booze and food, perhaps, and more about supporting those who served New Zealand. Is that right? I didn't. I didn't actually say those quite no. like that. But what I what we need to do is to reorientate the RSA to its core back to its core purpose, which is looking after veterans. No. There's a there's a really um, a misunderstanding about when you talk about veterans. A lot of people say, "Well, we haven't had a," uh, you know, I think it was in the press actually. Uh, one person commented, oh, "We haven't had a, any veterans really since Vietnam." Well, let me tell you that overall, there's about 140,000 veterans throughout New Zealand. That covers the whole panoply from still from Korea all the way through to today. But even more insightful is that there are 62,000 veterans since 1990. And that takes into account some 30 deployments to places like Timor, which has its 25th anniversary next year since we landed, Afghanistan, Iraq, Bosnia, and, mm-hmm. of course, Afghanistan being the most, um, you know, the most committed one in recent times in which we suffered considerable amount of casualties. Yeah, Martin, we have a panel joining us. Uh, let's bring Heather Roy in. <laughs> Oh, thanks, Wallace. Um, hi, Martin. Nice to be talking hi, to you on radio. Um, I think there's two really important things to focus on, to my mind anyway, and that is that the equity that's been built up through the sweat of veterans past isn't squandered. And secondly, that somebody needs to continue to provide support to service personnel and their families, which is why the RSA was, was developed in the first place and it sort of moved to the hospitality function. But... Um, I've got a couple of questions. I, I wonder if, you know, I think that some of the RSAs haven't moved with the times, and these two clubs aren't the first to experience problems, are they? So um, I remember Eastbourne and Wellington, for example, merged right. with the local bowls club. And so the, the smart clubs have sort of read the writing on the wall early and searched out other clubs that are also asset-rich and cash-poor. So my question really is, in the context of club closures and, and wider demands on veteran support funding, is the RSA's funding model of capitation and poppy sales, um, you know, is, it, is that from a bygone era, is that going to t- carry you into the future? No, it's not. And, you know, I think it's a good summary of the two that you've made. So what we're doing is reorientating things, and we've got re- re- reorientating the way we go about things. And with a program that we're called, calling RSA 2030, We've got a period of time now to actually look at how we reach, restructure things, go back to core business, to look at actually supporting veterans that I've you know mentioned the the um, 
62,000 that are out there plus those that have been there for some time. And we won't do that based on the capitation. If you look at the numbers, in 2008 we had 50,000 veterans and 115,000 non-veterans. In 22 we had 19,000 veterans and 77 um, uh, non-veterans. So we have to make sure that the core purpose, and we're, what we're looking at doing is establishing in places where we can veteran support centres, which will be a really where veterans can talk to veterans. And okay. we've got a, yeah, and I can talk about that if you wish. Well, that's you know. interesting. Uh, veterans support centre, we've got a panel. Ed Amon, what's your question? I, so, um, kia ora, Martin. I, it's as an immigrant, it, the RSA system in the in, in New Zealand really intrigued me because um, I, I don't think we have um, a, such a system in Pakistan where there, there's a community-based um, organization which supports the returning veterans. So um, I, I quite like it, and also it it becomes like a uh, an area where uh, the community can gather as well. All the events that happened in, especially in Hibiscus Coast, we have the um, RSA there. We have a lot of comedy events happening over there, so community gathers in in that as well. So my um, in terms of going forward, and we were talking about funding, it might be a naive question, but is there government? intervention being thought of or a different type of funding like crowdfunding which can help it or it has to be uh, peered down uh, to core functions of the RSA? Well look I think uh, just finishing off on Heather's question about capitation you're 100% correct Heather that capitation is not going to cover off the running of RSAs they are going to look at and they are looking at different ways of doing things and, and poppy sales to a point fine but we have to look at other means of how we can fund ourselves going forward. And it, during COVID, government did provide a significant amount of funding to help help us with that. And as I said a minute ago, um, we have a contract with uh, MSD. Now, mm. whether or not that's going to be able to continue mm. into the future with the downsizing of the uh, public service, et cetera, et cetera, we'll see. But give you an example. That started off five months ago. We have 32 people with veterans with placed in employment. We have 250-plus on the books. And even more exciting is we have some over 70, between 70 and 75, who are actually businesses who are looking for veterans to come and work from. They're reliable. They've got good training, etc. So there there are other alternatives under RSA 2030, and this is why the veteran support um, centres can offer a future. That doesn't mean to say that we won't still have those successful hospitality venues where they are successful. Really interesting synopsis there, Martin. Kia ora and uh, all the best for uh, uh, your role uh, in board chair of RSA. That's retired Major General Martin Dunn. On the future of RSAs, one here says um, some have been highly successful. The secret is they've dealt with uh, the younger generation. For example, the Graylin RSA has had several full-page stories in the paper on their success nights like Gold Bounds on a Friday Quiz nights, pool teams, dart teams, that type of thing. 27 pass for the panel. Now, I came across this Wonderful, wonderful Facebook post. Memories of Lancaster Park. Many of the younger generation might not even be familiar with it, but it's a rich part of the history of Ototahi Christchurch. Opens in 1881, capacity 38,600. Also known as Jay Stadium, AMI, Lancaster Park to so many. Closed for good in 2019. Who played there? The likes of Pearl Jam, U2. 
what are your Lancaster Park memories? Here's one. Um, when I was at primary school, a large number of us sang at a mass choir for Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip at Lancaster Park sometime around the early 60s. Here's another one. Dire Straits, 1986. It felt like the whole of the South Island converged. Um, State High 1 was so clogged, people were walking beside their cars and keeping pace. With us now is Alan. Welcome, Alan. Afternoon, Wallace. What's your memory of Lancaster Park? Fortunately, um, I was, uh, together with my sister, we were um, employed by the local promoter for the U2 concert. Oh. So, uh, yeah, we um, were there from start to finish, from setting up to um, to the end of the, um, the end of the concert and taking out. Wow! So, side of the stage, what, what's the story you can tell us about about that? About what? Sorry, you, you too. Oh well, it was amazing um, scale, probably never be, been seen before, as far as the concert um, in the South Island, and uh, yeah. we um, we set up the uh, changing rooms um, for for the bands and. Uh, the U2 uh, decor wasn't suitable to the management, so quick uh, foot down to uh, Mackenzie and Willis, um, changed the ambience. Um, just uh, things were done on a scale. Uh, my, my sister actually worked on the account side of things, and um, they did the tally up. Everything was cash in them days. They were doing the tally up while the concert was still running. Um, I, had the, I had the job of making sure the speakers didn't fall over because. Incredible, huge and huge, huge uh, logistics. I believe they used the um, plane that was uh, actually the largest cargo plane in the world at the time. I think they lost that in the Ukraine recently. But the logistics, and then the trucks, um, the, the first uh, semi through the gate, which I believe there was about six of them. They got a bonus for turning up um, early, set up um, after Amazing. the concert. They Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shoes just lying on the field. Oh, yeah. Shoes. Oh, you're living Great. it. You're reliving the memories of when... I, I find it's so amazing to think that you too came to Lancaster Park. Full house, 39,000 people. Had you heard of Lancaster, Lancaster Park in Pakistan? Yeah, yeah, it was. A, it's of course it's a, it's a, it's a, it's it's a house where Richard Hadley got his most uh, fivers. Uh, so uh, all all the cricket world knows about Lancaster Park, and I have a great memory from 1992 from Lancaster Park. It was um, Pakistan versus New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand was unbeaten throughout the round robin game, and Pakistan came and beat New Zealand to go into the semi-final, and that also led to Australia not qualifying. So that has memory has it's 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 stuck in my head because New Zealand was unbeaten in that World Cup and Pakistan beat them. Incredible, Alan. Thank you for the YouTube memories. Loved it. My pleasure, Wallace. Yeah, um, Manu said Wallace watching the All Blacks when Grizz Wiley was fullback at Lancaster Park was magic. Uh, have you ever? I've, I'd never been. Heather or have you been? Have no, you been? I'm afraid I have no memories of Lancaster Park. Mine are all at Carisbrook and Dunedin. Where oh, the brook. N- of no, we're like the terraces House on a sunny pain. afternoon. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> no, but look, I wasn't a Christchurch girl, and uh, so Lancaster, although I'm familiar with you know, knew where it was, um, no memories at all there, sadly. Good heavens, my mm. husband played the curtain raiser for the All Blacks versus England at Lancaster Park in the 70s. He scored a try in the corner, and years later the Irish captain, during an interview about that tour, said it was the greatest schoolboy try he'd ever seen. People have good memories. And Mm -hmm. another Lancaster Park memory here, U2 and BB King, When Love Came to Town Tour, perhaps one of the best tours of all time.